Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show on CBS Sports Radio. Welcome to the jungle. A tremendous Tuesday to you. All right, so huge news this morning in college football. And it's coming from the coaching circles. Something that had been bubbling beneath the surface for quite some time. You know, a hint here, a rumor there. But if you were paying attention, you could see this coming from a mile away. The expectation is it will be official later today. Scott Satterfield is the new Louisville head coach. Yeah, I know. I know. In some ways, that feels like a shock. And in many others, it makes a lot of sense. When you look at what he's done at App State and the way he's built that program, he's got a track record. And we know the guy can coach. And he's an excellent talent evaluator, which is something that is key at Louisville. Because as good as that program has been in the past, they're now having to deal with a monster in Clemson. So, that's the big news. Oh, and there was some other college football coaching news this morning. Urban Meyer is stepping down after the Rose Bowl. All right, cool. Excuse me, though, for not losing my bleep. Sorry if I'm not choking up over the retirement of a legend. Why? Well, because we have been here before with Urban Meyer a couple of times. That's why. Remember after the 09 SEC title game when Meyer went to the hospital? He had complained of chest pains. He thought he was having a heart attack. He resigned, only to change his mind a few hours later after being at a, quote, spirited practice with his players. Also, do you remember the time when he retired from Florida one year later to spend more time with his family, only to take a TV gig and then join up with Ohio State only a few months after that? And then when he came back, he talked about how he didn't like the state of college football at his time or at the end of his time at Florida. A state of college football, I might add, that he played a role in creating with one Gator after another being arrested. You know, just another step in Meyer's career and another bizarre, unnecessary half-truth or straight-out lie about his motivation. You see, this is why everybody and their brother is coming up with hilarious jokes about Clay Helton, about how he should be nervous because Meyer might want the SC job, or why Auburn might be a good fit once Meyer decides that he doesn't like retirement anymore. The first person with that joke was sort of funny. Now it's just lame. Lame, played, and tired. You know, sort of like Herb himself. Don't get me wrong. The guy can coach, no doubt. Hell of a coach. But if this summer did not prove that the emperor has no clothes away from football, then I've got nothing for you. If you have any doubts about whether you can believe Urban Meyer when he says... Well, pretty much anything at all. Just fire up the VCR and pop in a video from Big Ten Media Days. Watch him answer questions about Zach Smith, the longtime assistant with a longtime history of domestic violence allegations. Then pop in a tape from when it was announced that Meyer would be suspended for three games for the way he handled that situation. And how he and A.D. Gene Smith apologized to Buckeye Nation multiple times for how they handled it, but Courtney Smith zero times. And then when asked about it directly, Meyer said, quote, 
I'm sorry we're in this situation, end quote. And then look at the sign on the wall that claims that one of his core values is treat women with respect. So why is this guy stepping down right now? Man, who knows? Who knows? Ryan Day, who's going to take over as head coach, did a nice job in Meyer's absence at the beginning of the season. And there's no doubt that Meyer does have health issues. Let's be clear about that. I'm not saying that that's not a factor. There's a cyst on his brain that was diagnosed two decades back. So if I'm keeping my Urban Meyer story straight, it was this cyst on the brain that requires him to take medication, which causes him to lie about or forget about certain key details of domestic violence allegations. Do I have that part right? It's just hard to keep track of that because I'm guessing that Meyer can tell you the details of every single play ever called against Michigan. But according to the investigation into the Zach Smith situation, the investigators reported, quote, we also learned during the investigation that Coach Meyer has sometimes had significant memory issues in other situations where he had prior extensive knowledge of events. He has also periodically taken medicine that can negatively impair his memory, concentration, and focus, end quote. Once again, Never mind that this is the same guy who once claimed he could remember every single play from both the 08 and 09 SEC title games. Yet when it came to recalling details of one of the most important events of his tenure, he's got no recollection at all. You know, because of his meds. All right, great. Anyway, that cyst required surgery in 2014. When you start talking brain surgery, actual brain surgery... It's a serious, serious health problem. And there was one shot after another of him on the sideline this year looking really, really old and looking like he was in a lot of pain. So if that's the reason for stepping down, that's a good reason. But then again, it's kind of hard to trust Urban Meyer. Strike that. It's impossible to trust Urban Meyer, especially when Urban Meyer is talking about Urban Meyer. So the question then is, is he retiring Or is he just quitting Ohio State? Will he coach again? Who knows? I just know that if Urban Meyer says Urban Meyer will never coach again, then Jim Rome is going to get a second opinion. And all this means that Ohio State just got the worst of both worlds. They sacrificed their reputation to keep Urban Meyer at the beginning of the season, and now he leaves at the end of the season. Congrats. You sold your soul for a 29-point loss to Purdue and a trip to the Rose Bowl. Hope that was worth it. And if Ryan Day really is as good as everybody in Columbus wants you to think he is, and he might be, but if he is... They could have skipped all of this drama and forced Herb out at the start of the season, given Day the keys, and made a statement about who and what Ohio State is. They'd have been seen as leaders, but they didn't. Well done. You just played yourselves. You see, the problem with Urban Meyer, the problem with Urban Meyer is Urban Meyer. It'd be so much easier to talk about the three national championships, the nine losses in seven years at Ohio State, the total domination of Michigan, the fact that he was the only guy before Dabo who could claim to be on the same level as Saban, all those things, if it wasn't for the fact that Urban Meyer is so Urban Meyer, which means it's not enough for him to be the smartest person in the room. He also has to be the most moral person in the room. He has to be able to lecture everybody about that. 
So, when you get right down to it, the only true fair reaction to this news is to acknowledge that this is Jim Harbaugh's biggest win since he went to the Super Bowl with the 49ers. Time to break out a new pair of khakis and a nice tall glass of milk because now he won't have to be embarrassed by Urban Meyer anymore. Just remember, Michigan men, no matter what Jim Harbaugh does now, it's going to come with an asterisk because when Urban Meyer was there, Harbaugh never once got over. Unless, of course, Ohio State has a really spirited practice today and Herb decides that he wants to come back. Or that his retirement is not actually going to happen or he doesn't want to spend time with his family or whatever. So forgive me if I'm not going to come with some complete eulogy on Urban Meyer because I'm not sure that that this is the end. But when people, when someone says somebody's a great person, People frequently say, he's a great coach, but a better man. It's the highest form of praise, right? If, in fact, this is the end for Urban Meyer, what this is, is the end of a run from a guy who was a really good coach, and that's it. Not the leader or molder of men or great moral figure that he wants you to think that he is or that he even thinks he is himself. Just a great coach. That's it. Just a great coach. If this really is the end, and I'm really not sure it is, because I've seen this before. 1-800-636-8686. What do you make of that story? Is he retiring or is he just quitting? Is that the end of him as a coach or are we going to see him at USC or Auburn or someplace else? What's going on here? Let's wait and see the presser a little bit later on today. Dear Jim, today I am stepping down and I announce my retirement from coaching. Sincerely, Urban Favre. John and Wisco, I'm not saying that he doesn't have legitimate health issues. He does, but he's had them before and, quote, retired because of them before, only to come right back once after a spirited practice. Dear Rome, with the departure of Urbag Liar, our conference can go back to being normal. The khaki-wearing kook will finally have a shot at defeating his rival. Wisconsin can stick to being fat. Iowa can remain irrelevant. And Scofro can claim multiple Big Ten titles and Coach of the Year awards at prestigious Nebraska U. Good riddance, Urbag. Signed at the Big Ten Conference. Aaron in Omaha wore Scofro, still being undefeated in Nebraska bowl games. I'm joined by an award-winning writer, national college football and basketball reporter for Yahoo Sports. He was the one that broke this story about Urban Meyer. Pete Thamel is my guest. Pete, nice to have you back. How are you? Hey, Jim, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, man. Good to have you, Pete. Thanks so much. Now, you reported this morning that Urban Meyer is going to be stepping down after the Rose Bowl. Offensive coordinator Ryan Day will be taking over. What was your reaction, Pete, when you first heard that news? Well, uh, Jim, you know, it's uh, it, it's not like a, a linear decision, right? It's not like one thing happens and then the other. I, I think there was myriad factors that, that, went into, that went into Urban making this decision at this time. From as small as 
the recruiting calendar and, you know, they needed to get some certainty there and, and, and declare what the program was going to look like going forward. Obviously signing day is December 19th or 20th this year. So there, there's a small window for Ohio State to tell future Buckeyes, hey, who, who's going to be your coach? And, and then from the uh, – that's in the micro, just the small things that factor into it. The bigger things, obviously – Urban Meyer is very pleased with where this Ohio State program is right now. And this is analogous to Bob Stoops when he left Oklahoma two summers ago and handed the program to Lincoln Riley. He thought the program was healthy and would thrive after the transition. And I think it's important, Jim, to look at the infrastructure and the machine, really, that Urban Meyer has built here. It's a machine in recruiting with Mark Pantone. It's a machine in the weight room with Mickey Marotti, who's one of the best to do it, all the way to, to the operations, the player development, to all the people who've essentially been Meyer's lieutenants. That machine gets kept in place, which was appealing to Gene Smith, obviously the Ohio State Athletic Director, because you know Gene knew that the program – obviously would have a different leader with a different spin, but the guts of it would operate in the same way. And then the other factor that can't be ignored here, obviously, is Myers' health. He's had a cyst in his brain that has significantly impacted him the last two years. Um, we obviously saw it on the sideline a bunch this year. Last year, it really flared up at times. People I know at Ohio State would tell me, you know, Urban's not himself. Urban's not himself. He's a guy who we have seen go a thousand miles an hour, Jim. It's the only way he's known how. And there was a prevailing feeling that he would have to take his foot off the gas and maybe be a little bit more of a CEO to manage that uh, the, the the severe aggressive headaches he'd been getting. And that's just not that's just not Urban who Urban Meyer is. He wasn't comfortable doing that. Pete Thamel joining us. All right, Pete. So Meyer obviously has a pretty interesting history when it comes to resignations. And of course, as soon as that news broke, the joke started about him taking the USC job after next season or another great gig when it opens up. You talked about his physical condition. He's still just 54, really young for a college coach to hang it up. Do you think he'll never coach again? Or is this a situation where maybe he gets a break and then he'll get that itch once again to come back and coach? Yeah, it was amusing to see how quickly the cynicism infused the news cycle this morning. Right. Uh, I will certainly not be naive enough to never say never, right? You, you, you never know. I, I do feel like what that would hinge on would be, A, his health, and B, does he find something where he can engage himself in, invest himself in? You're never going to replace running out of the tunnel, you know, the relationships with 100 kids that you have in your building, and then the staffs of these places now there's probably 50 people on those so you, you're never going to quite replace that but I, I do feel like in, in talking to people around Meyer he has he has a a pretty nuanced plan in place for how he's gonna how he's gonna go about his future and I don't feel like his health would allow him to come back and coach the way he would want to coach Pete Thamel joins us he broke the story earlier this morning Pete how much do you think that the Zach Smith scandal played in this? Did it play any role at all in the decision? I think it'd be impossible to say it didn't play any, right? I mean, it was obviously, uh, it was, it was obviously a pretty dramatic time in, uh, in Columbus for, for August and uh, in, in part of September. Um, but I really feel like behind health, you know, behind wanting to, you know, wanting to walk away his grandkids now, right? His one and one on the way, uh, 
I, I don't feel like it was a major factor in the decision, but I, but I do feel like it was certainly one of those myriad factors. All right, so what about the school itself? Is there any part, do you think, that where the school might be irritated that they went to bat for Meyer, took a lot of heat from a PR standpoint for how he handled the Zach Smith situation, and now he's leaving only a few months later? Do you think the school is at all bothered by that? I don't think so. I certainly don't know how uh, President Michael Drake feels, but if institutionally they'd wanted to move on from Meyer that bad, A, they could have, they could have obviously fired him in August, and, and B, they're bringing back the guts of the program he built, right? I just went through kind of all the, you know, all the operational background and such. So if, there, if they wanted a, a clean divorce, they, they certainly would have, uh, they, they wouldn't have agreed to Ryan Day and keeping everything in, uh, keep, keeping a lot of things similar to, uh, to the way they've been and the way they've been built. We're talking to Pete Thamel. All right, so in terms of that, Ohio State, as you point out, Pete, is hoping for a similar transition to what we saw when Bob Stoops handed off the program to Lincoln Riley. First off, for those who are not familiar with him, who is Ryan Day and what is his background? Yeah, well, I'll shamelessly plug Yahoo Sports today. I actually have 10 things to know about Ryan Day um, and just a, a, little bit of, a little bit about who he is. I think the first thing you mentioned when you mentioned Ryan Day is one of the best young offensive minds in all of football, not just college football. He is the quintessential Chip Kelly protege. Chip recruited him to play quarterback at UNH and was his offensive coordinator at New Hampshire all four years. And then Ryan went on to work for a bunch of other people, but rounded back. Uh, he, he actually worked for Chip as the tight ends coach for a year right out of college, I believe, in 2002. And then he was his quarterback coach with the Eagles and then with that one season with the, uh, with the San Francisco 49ers. So um, Ryan Day is a sharp young offensive mind, and look, hanging 62 against uh, against Michigan certainly doesn't uh, certainly doesn't hurt your case. Speaking of 62 against Michigan, what do you think Jim Harbaugh did when he saw the news that Meyer was stepping down? Well, I, I mean, it certainly changes the dynamic in the Big Ten. One of Meyer's legacies, uh, Jim, is going to be that he changed the the Big Ten for the better. Uh, he he raised you know he raised the tides here and forced the competition to. Uh, to, to, to get better um, and you know there have been facilities built and infrastructure added at all these big Ten schools I mean remember the joke big Ten speed a couple you know eight <laughs> right. nine years ago like yep. you know the SEC was running away with college football and the big Ten was lagging behind and I think that 2014 season on Ohio State won the national title beat Alabama in that sugar Bowl I think that was that's that was really a turning point for the league now the big Ten hasn't had a ton of success since I don't believe they scored a They've scored a point in the uh, in the college football playoff. Uh, my colleague Dan Wetzel just pointed that out on our podcast that uh, Michigan State and Ohio State were both shut out. But you know he has certainly helped the uh, the Big Ten. And does this change Jim Harbaugh's mind and how he does things? I don't know. But like I I would guess that Michigan gets favored to win the league next year. We're talking to Pete Thamel. What about that then? I mean, if if he definitely dramatically helped turn the fortune and the reputation for that conference, what does his stepping down mean for the Big Ten in general? It's a blow to the Big Ten. I don't think there's any question about that. I mean, their their ratings, the interest, the uh, the electricity that he brought to games is not going to be replaced by Ryan Day. You can't. You know, it could grow into that. It could grow back into that. But uh, you know, he's one of the transformative figures in modern football on the field. And so I, I think you know, I think it is it is a blow to the Big Ten. He's one of the you know top two coaches of this generation. All right, so that said, and finally, Pete, there's no doubt, he, he's won everywhere he's been. He, is an, he has an amazing resume in terms of wins and losses. But, of course, there are the off-the-field issues at Florida and Ohio State. So how would you attempt to sum up his legacy at this point? 
Yeah, you know, my colleague Pat Forty wrote a good uh, column about that on on Yahoo today. Look, it's it's never been it's never been simple and linear with urban, right? It's always been complicated and a, and a little bit dramatic. Uh, but I, I do think, you know, when history looks back on Urban Meyer as a football coach, you know, uh, he's going to be remembered for, for a lot of things. One, changing the way the game's played. Uh, Dan Mullen, his former assistant, told me today on the phone, like, the NFL's starting to play. Like, like it's, it's trickled all the way up to that league. So I think in terms of, uh, in terms of football, his, his legacy is pretty clear. Let's go to the phones. I mentioned there was a smack-off champ on hold right to the front of the line. Let's go to Hollywood. Mark in Hollywood. What's going on, Mark? How are you? Good, man. Man, honestly, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he wasn't a practitioner of rat thinkism. Yo, I am vexed how everyone has been suckered by this car salesman timeshare huckster herb. Yo, all morning, quality journals like Pete Thamel, and I, I like Pete, all they've been saying was, well, we saw this coming because of his health. He clearly had to take a knee, and he had to take Midal, and he had cramps. Uh, hello? This is what you do when you don't want to be at your job. Jim, you talk about it every year during March Madness. On Monday, you start the sniffles. Tuesday, with the cough. Wednesday, you bring in the medicine. So by Thursday, no one questions you, and you're justified by taking the next two days off. That's basically what this rat-faced con man has been doing all season, idiots. He's been setting this up. Secondly, how is it, will he coach again, even a serious question for these journos? It's like people forget that he coached a successful college team in the South, where he overlooked players' crimes, where one tight end was insulated against any punishment for his psychopath activities. And when things got hot and the sanctions came, Herb faked the coronary harder than Rick and Buffalo fakes his radio voice, bounced for a year, and then, shocker, he's the head coach of the Buckeyes. Trust me, in a few months, when the Browns or USC come a-calling, this dude's eyes are going to spring open like Tyson Fury and The Undertaker combined, and he's going to hop out of his deathbed and jig around harder than that freeloading scumbag Grandpa Joe. And finally, not to go all Chael Son and Lance Armstrong with it, but Herb, if you're really feeling that crappy all the time, to the point where you have to fake a brain cyst, retire to evaluate your medical status, you did it to yourself, didn't you? It must be hard having to lie to the national media about covering up a woman's abusive husband, but when your boy, who you lied for, started holding things over your head, when Zach Smith started to pop off on Twitter about how he has a ton of dirt that he could come out with at any time, yeah, that would mess with me too. We've all read the telltale heart. We know how guilt can drive someone insane or manifest itself physically. Imagine having to coach games, Jim, knowing that any time the posse can roll through into Columbus and ruin his already tarnished legacy. No wonder this guy was going through labor pains on the sidelines. So please, journos, Pete, stop the sympathy, the retrospectives, the gas bags pontificating on his amazing legacy. Sometimes you get exactly what you deserve. Except for Urban Meyer, coach of the 2021 Super Bowl-winning New England Patriots. P.S. Jason Witten, you're not skating today, you hypocritical clown. I saw all of Twitter calling you out for vouching for Greg Hardy a few years back after your little monologue about domestic abuse last night. That hairpiece has you talking out both sides of your mouth, homie. Make the world a better place. Have Greg Hardy throw Witten on a gun bed and punch him in his fat, stupid face. Rack me. Wow, I think I will. Mark in Hollywood. Mark in Hollywood showing up like it's a smack-off day. I don't agree with all that. I Listen, 
I agree with a lot of that. I'd even say I agree with most of that. I don't agree with the fact that Urban made up that cyst that he has on his brain. That That's a real thing. That brain surgery he had, also a real thing. Brain surgery is a serious deal. So I don't think that much like <laughs> Mark said that I was advise you clones that right around the time of the Final Four, you want to set that thing up properly, right? You know, Tuesday, start to get a cough. Wednesday, it's even worse. Make sure that you set that thing up so everybody knows just how sick you are. I don't think he did that with the cyst. I don't think that's why he was taking a knee. I don't think he faked the headaches. I think he really did have headaches. That said... I think the guy is disingenuous. I think the guy's not what he appears. And I think that if you want to talk about a legacy for Urban Meyer, how we're supposed to remember this guy, damn good football coach. And I'll leave it at that. Not a molder of young men. Not the ethical, moral guy that he'd lead you to believe. And certainly not all that honest either. This whole notion about, yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, I really don't, I can't remember the details of exactly what happened. This is the same guy who did say, as I mentioned in my take, he can remember every single play from the 08 and 09 SEC title games, but can't remember some of the details regarding Zach Smith. And why not? Because of his medication. Let me tell you something. This guy can remember every freaking play he's ever called against Michigan, but he can't remember those details. Oh, all right. So no, I'm not going to sit here with a eulogy. I'm not going to sit here and hype this guy up and talk about what his career was like. Number one, I'm not convinced his career is over. Number two, I just don't see the guy like that. I see the guy this way. Great football coach, period. Not a great guy, not a great moral, ethical figure who's a great molder of men. You know, it says it right there on the wall. Treat women with respect. How are you going to do that, Herb, if you keep Zach Smith, a guy who was allegedly abusing his wife on staff as long as you did? And we're honest about that. And then allegedly try to cover that up. Allegedly. However, I will say this. He did not make up the cyst on his brain. That really does exist. That brain surgery, he didn't make that up. That really did happen. So where does he go? Mark just said, yes, see you in New England taking over for the hoodie. USC, Auburn, New England. I do not think we've seen the last of Urban Meyer. Gonzaga is 8-0. They're top ranked in both polls. They're at home against Washington tomorrow. We are joined by Mark Few. Mark, it's so good to have you back. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing, Jim? Mark, I am super. And I'm looking at your situation. You beat Creighton on Saturday. You are undefeated. You are number one. There's an awful lot to like about your roster. So first things first, Mark, how is life for you right now? Uh, life is uh, uh, really, really good. Really good on a uh, professional level and probably even better on a personal level. Kids are doing great. Marcy's doing great. So uh, no complaints. But you know what? We're just we're waiting uh, anxiously for the Rome Christmas card to make its way up here. That's kind of a highlight. Of That's awesome. Way. That's great. You know, I got, I touched base. Thanks for saying so, Mark. I touched base with Janet. I said, "How hard are you going this year? Uh, are you are you all in on this? Are you going to bling this thing up?" She usually is. She's had a tough. Usually she's had a busy year. I don't know. I don't know. The, the bar is pretty high, but I'm going to pass that along to her. She'll love hearing that, and I appreciate you yeah. saying it. Listen, there's so many guys I want to talk to you about, but let me start with Rui Hachimura, 
22 points, 11 rebounds, three assists, and a win over Creighton. He has been an absolute force for you this year. But take me back to his freshman season. You had a really good team that year. He averaged less than five minutes per game. His English was not where it is right now. What do you remember about that year for him? Uh, you know, a, a lot of that, just trying to adapt um, and just being thrown in to a very, very competitive, uh, you know, high-level world of, of college basketball. I think there, there was just so much that he needed to adjust to that obviously first and foremost was just the, the English you know, barrier he needed to get over it. And if you talk to a lot of people, it's, that's a hard adjustment. You know, uh, the, the Japanese to English or English to Japanese, for those of us who traveled to Japan, it's a tough one. It's not like going to, uh, you know, to Europe. And we've had a lot of kids from uh, Europe that have came in and, and jumped right in uh, right away. So not only that, but I think just the intensity of college basketball and, and, you know, as I tell a lot of these, uh, pro scouts that, you know, come in and out, you know, this kid is, he needs to be judged probably more like an, uh, you know, an 18 year old in that he didn't play hundreds of games of AAU basketball since the time he was 12. (laughs) That opportunity doesn't present itself over there. So he's just now, you know, getting games under his belt and practices under his belt. And uh, I mean, I, I, he's really, really can, uh, done a great job of, uh, you know, accruing all that knowledge that comes with playing, and, and now we're getting to see that. We're talking to Mark Few. You know, Mark, one more thing about that. You were telling SI, Sports Illustrated, that early on he was taking in maybe 10% of what you were saying. How in the world yeah. do you go about coaching and developing a player in a situation like that where the language barrier is so great? Well, I think the biggest thing, Jim, is it's it's totally unfair then to throw him out you know, in front of 80,000 people and, you know, 50 million people watching at a Final Four and expect him to, you know, to be able to to do some things or in a high-level game to even get to a Final Four. So, you know, there was a lot of uh, development and and, uh, growth behind the scenes just with, you know, him understanding me and, and our staff with just, uh, the, the terminology, the crazy basketball terminology that we all uh, uh, use, as well as just kind of challenging him to, uh, you know, competitively raise his game. A, a lot of the the cool thing about the Japanese culture is just how much they respect uh, other people, how much they respect uh, people in authority and all that, and, and trying to get him to you know, it, it's okay to, you know, you don't have to defer to the older guys all the time. You, you're a talented guy, and you need to start asserting yourself. He's, he's really kind of coming into his own in, in that regard. Gonzaga head coach Mark Few is joining us once again. So, Mark, going into that Duke game, they were number one in the country, loaded with lottery picks. You know nobody's going to give you a national title for a win in November, but how big was that win, and what did your team show you and how they handled that moment? Well, hey, I mean, we played the game, and, and you know, so anytime you're competing and keeping score, you might as well win. I think that's how, how we approached it, and, you know, we were glad to, you know, to be able to get it done. It was a it was a great test. They're a, a uber, uber talented team. Uh, but the, what I learned about my team is that they're, they're confident, they're 
talented in their own way. Uh, you know, we were able to, to play a high possession game like that. We didn't really have to adjust uh, our tempo in regards to, hey, we better slow this thing down because these guys are really dangerous. Uh, you know, we just we attacked them in the, the normal way. The, the, the funny thing, Jim, is like I think we played – I think we got done playing Arizona at, you know, 8 o'clock at night maybe over there, uh, Hawaii time, and then uh, uh, we left – to go play Duke at 10 the next morning. So there wasn't a ton of, of you know, coaching. Or, I mean, there was mental stuff going on, but we didn't even have time for a, a walkthrough or a practice. So uh, the guys, it was all about their approach and all about just kind of us just playing the Gonzaga way. And, and uh, uh, you know, ended up turning out pretty good for us. Mark, what about that? The Gonzaga way, for those who have not watched you this year, well, recently, the Gonzaga way. How would you define that? When you're looking for a Gonzaga player to play a Gonzaga way, how would you describe that? I, uh, just somebody that's going to not have any fear of, of any moment or any uh, situation. He's going to go out there and uh, obviously put the team first. I mean, the one thing we're doing, we have some really talented uh, uh, special players, but they're not getting caught up in their own numbers. We're sharing the ball at a, at a great rate right now. We're taking great care of the ball. And then again, as the program's kind of made that next step up to the, you know, the real nationally elite level is we're, we're, we're really playing some good defense. And, and I think that's a, that's a big key. Now, obviously that's easier said than done against teams as talented as Duke and such. And even Creighton the other day is a really, really gifted offensive team, but yeah, we're finding our ways to, to get those important stops uh, down the stretch or in the crux of the game. And not only that, Zach Norvell Jr. said that after the game, quote, experience plays a big role in this. We came down the stretch. We got some stops. We knew we were winning it on the defensive end. I know you got to love hearing that from a guy with yeah. that experience. You know, you mentioned yeah. the national level, Mark. I mean, I read an abbreviated list of your accomplishments at the top of the interview. If I read all of them, we wouldn't have had time. When you first took over and you were developing that program, did you think that you would get to a point where you'd beat the number one team in the country and, I mean, a supposedly unbeatable Duke team, and that it wouldn't be that shocking, that it would be almost expected? No, not when I first took over. I mean, and, uh, you know, you've been here. You've been there the whole time kind of with us and seen this this rise. You know, and I still kind of approach it like that. We're just trying to get better the next day. And it was like that back then, I think. The biggest thing when we made our initial run to that uh, Elite Eight with uh, Dan Munson back in 99 was we just did not want to be a one-hit wonder, and we wanted to continue to grow this thing. And we've done that. I mean, the administration's been great. I've had the same athletic director the whole time. And we have – the program has grown uh, every single year and continues to, which is – I mean, now we got a brand-new sparkling – state-of-the-art uh, practice facility, academic center, and, and facilities, travel, you know, what we're doing uh, uh, with the team analytically and things like that. It's always changing and it's always in growth mode. And, you know, now we're to the point that, you know, this last, you know, 5% has been probably the toughest to squeeze out of it. But, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're 
trying to make it happen. Gonzaga head coach Mark Few joining us. It's really inspiring when you look at it that way. Now, over the summer, you were one of the coaches who was selected to be a part of the USA basketball mini camp. What was that experience like for you, and what was your takeaway? It was it was great. It, I mean, it was beyond great it, it, on a couple different fronts. First of all, uh, 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 Coach Popovich is just I mean, just he's an amazing uh, uh, people person with just how he how he gets with people he makes them feel especially makes them feel wanted and and uh we really had some good talks around uh long dinners that uh that I'll, that I'll always you know be able to remember for the rest of my life just uh Jerry Colangelo was at those things and then just you know hours and hours getting to spend with uh, I've really grown to have a great friendship with uh, Jay Wright. What an unbelievable, uh, first of all, person he is. And then uh, a basketball coach. Uh, spent some good time. Mike Brown uh, worked with me on a former when we did that. We coached the Pan Am team together. And just to, just to be able to sit down with those guys and, and X and O, and not, and not even just X and O, sometimes just talk about how to deal with, you know, players or situations that, that come up and, and uh, whether it's expectations, you know, you think about what the Warriors go through, you think about what Villanova is going through, you think about Gonzaga goes through or uh, just things like that. Just a huge, uh, you know, I'm 55 now, but it was just total growth mode, man. It was just great. Just uh, sharing stuff and growing. And uh, uh, there's so many really, really, really good people out there. I never ceases to amaze me. That's really cool. Mark Few, my guest. One last thought. Let me go back to Maui for a minute. And not the tournament, not the Duke game, but the place itself. Every year, you and your family spend time in Maui. What are the visits like, and why is it so important to get back to Maui with your family? Uh, uh, I, I tell you, because it's just kind of, uh, uh, you can look back on it as our, just looking at the pictures and all that, just the moments we shared all the way back when the kids were, you know, basically infants. So that that's kind of our sacred place to where we can get and just be a family and just kind of block everything out and shut everything down that 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 uh, island to me has just this spirit about it right when you land and get off the plane you can feel it and uh uh we've just had some unbelievable family moments there and then you've been able to watch over the years and and for i mean our family loves to get out and get after it whether it's surfing or hiking or snorkeling or swimming i mean we're just outdoor type so we're kind of always on the move so it definitely uh suits us for that but i think looking back it's just that spirit that kind of aloha spirit and then just also just being able to just you know 24 hours a day it's family stuff and it comes at a time of year when i can kind of just get away from the whole basketball thing for a while gotta do it mark i can't believe you're 20 years in there 20 years in <laughs> man that's wild Gonzaga's 8-0. They're number one in both polls, and they're at home against Washington. It goes without saying, Mark, I appreciate you. I appreciate the relationship, and it's always good to have you on this show, and I'm going to get with Janet during the break to find out exactly what's going on with the Christmas cards. <laughs> Those Christmas cards for your listeners are top-notch. They are, there is none uh, better than uh, what the Romes put out. But, hey, it's been great uh, always talking to you over the years, and, and uh, you always taking the time to – to talk about our program, and uh, you're a good man. 
Yeah, you, you too, Mark. And I appreciate you making time for us, too. Great to have you back, Mark. Thanks so much. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Mark Few, my guest. What an amazing coach he is. And what an amazing run, an amazing thing that he's built in Gonzaga. Never left. Never left. Never had to. Built built the monster and is capable of achieving every dream he ever had, staying right where he was. And whereas back in the day, everybody was always on to the next thing, he didn't and had so many opportunities to leave and never did. You know, in terms of the Christmas cards, that, that essentially is Janet's thing. She doesn't want a Christmas present. She doesn't want a gift. She just wants the cards. And it's kind of a big production. So that's what he's talking about. Alvin goes, dude, kind of. It's a really big production. So what's on the Christmas card? I, I mean, I, I could post it on social, but I won't. It's just the kids. That what, what makes that Christmas card unique, according to some, is... It, they've got some bling. She, she attaches a little bit of bling to it. And the photography is pretty brilliant because the photographer is unbelievable. And Hawks says this. I don't know that this is true because I don't get involved. Hawks says the postage is $8. I don't know if that's true, Hawk. <laughs> you might be embellishing a little bit. But the bling makes it pretty weighty. And it's the kids. I've only made one appearance in the Christmas card over the years, and that's when Ms. Direction won the first Breeders' Cup. And Janet put me in. We, we don't want to be in it. It's never us. It's just the boys. Bill's Mafia. I don't want you to think that I forgot about you because I didn't mention you yesterday. Because yesterday was jammed up. Because I have not forgotten about you. Even though you probably wish I had forgotten about you this time. You see, there's some things you cannot forget about. Some things you don't forget about. Some things that even if you want to, you cannot. And this entire season for the Bills has been pretty memorable. But for the wrong reasons. Not in a good way. This entire season for the Bills has been really weird. Really weird. Now, normally I say weird is good. Not in this case. Not with the 2018 Bills. I mean, where do I start? Vontae Davis. Mid-game retirement. Weird. Nate Pete's assault on the game of football. Weird. The torrential downpour of sex toys onto the field. Expected. A Derek Anderson sighting. That's fine. That's fine. This season is so weird, it's making mafia tailgates look and seem normal. As if... Lighting yourself on fire and jumping off of an RV through a folding table after beer-bonging a cold one between somebody else's glutes is normal. But just when I thought that things could not get any more weird in Buffalo Sunday against the Dolphins, this happened. Now, you know things are straight up bizarre when Charles Clay is dropping Josh Allen's miracle game-winning Hail Mary. And I'm not even talking about that being the weirdest thing. And the rookie, Josh Allen, with the game on the line. And there is the snap. Allen, back to throw. Pressure, dances away from it, now runs back to his right, trying to buy some time under a heavy pass rush, gets a block. Josh Allen throws it downfield, headed for the end zone, and it is caught. No, incomplete in the end zone. Charles Clay, trying to recover, trying to come back to the football, could not drag it in. And the Dolphins will take over with 53 seconds left to play. 
You know, I would say, boy, that was weird. That was bizarre. I mean, a miracle play by Josh Allen. A miracle play. But that's not even the strangest thing of the day. No, what I'm talking about is Bill's defensive end, Jerry Hughes. Jerry Hughes getting caught on camera. Getting after an official. Getting after an official in the tunnel who he accused in the video of calling him a bitch. Hold up now, Alvin. This is an NFL player alleging that a referee dropped a B-bomb on him. My man's hot. My man's hot. You called me a bitch. I'll catch you. Trust me. I'll catch you. I'll catch you guaranteed. I mean, listen to this guy. This guy is hot. My man, my man sounds angry. So that's what you can hear in the video as Jerry Hughes goes in on Roy Ellison, the referee, for allegedly calling him that. Now, what you can't hear on that video is Hughes walking away saying, quote, I'm going to knock his ass out when I see him again. I'm going to hurry up and get dressed. He called me a bitch. All right, so look, I wasn't there. I've been doing this a long, long time. I can count on exactly one finger the amount of times I've seen a video of a player run up on a ref like that and accuse a ref of something like that. Now, I'm not here to say what did or didn't happen because that was not on the field. So I don't know. I don't know what was said or what wasn't said. I don't know what happened or what didn't happen. I'm just saying I've never seen anything like that before. And making the entire episode even more peculiar is Hughes denying that the confrontation that I just played even took place. What caused the, the anger? I mean, obviously. What's anger? Who was angry? Yours. I was angry? That's, what, that's the report. Yeah. I mean, I lost the game, so I'm supposed to be angry. We just played our butts off for four quarters, and we came six inches short of winning the football game. So I think myself with uh, a lot of Buffalo Bills fans are probably upset right now. I mean, that's just the nature of the of playing sports. Someone's going to win, someone's going to lose. That's true, but we don't usually see those types of reactions, you know, going after an official after a game. What something? What sparks that Who did? unique you? I did. Yeah. I did what? We saw you go up to the official. What did I say? If I did go up to the official, what did I say? I have video that shows you okay. saying that, I would love to that see he the video. called him. You were referencing he called you. Yeah, I would love to see the video. So and, that did not happen that way? I would love to see the video. I mean, you were, you were obviously about, you're saying that did not happen. Right. And I said, I would love to see the video. So show it to him. (laughs) You'd love to, he just said three times, I would love to see the video. All right. Here it is. I mean, that was one of the stranger back and forths I've heard. Minutes earlier, Jerry Hughes was yelling at Roy Ellison, yelling on video in front of a bunch of people. And it was caught on video, yelling on video. I'll catch you. I'll catch you. He called me a bitch. But then afterwards, when asked about that confrontation, he insinuated that it never even happened and that somebody should show him the video. I mean, show the man the video, right? He wants to see the video. Man, that's strange. Hey, look, I understand. He was mad. Nobody's saying you shouldn't be mad. Nobody's saying you should not be disappointed in the loss. But the question was, why did you run up on the official like that? And... Why were you so angry with that official? And did he or did he not call you a bitch? I mean, either way, either way, 
the guy either didn't do it, but he did because we saw the video, or in that heat of the moment, he was so hot that maybe he just blacked out and forgot, or he's lying. Either way, it's weird, and we still have no clear answers as to exactly what happened on the field and what's going to happen to Jerry Hughes or the ref off the field. So yesterday on the RPO, I had Ross Tucker filling in for Trevor Price, and I asked Ross, what's the craziest thing he ever heard a player? No, no, check that. The craziest thing a ref ever said to a player. Had he ever heard a referee that aggressive with a player? And Ross said, no, I have never seen or heard of anything like that. I don't know that I've ever personally heard a ref say anything that egregious or that noteworthy. On the one hand, it's hard for me to believe. On the other hand, it's kind of a weird thing for Jerry Hughes to make up. I can't imagine what else would set him off to the point where he would go after the guy in the tunnel going into the locker room. If it was just a bad call, he wouldn't have done that. You know, he knows he's probably going to get fined and they're going to investigate the incident. It'll be really interesting to see what ends up coming out of that because I haven't heard it. I don't know that I've ever heard a ref say anything really derogatory to a player. Ross, I wasn't there. I don't want to say. I have no way of knowing. It seems very peculiar that a ref would call a player a bitch. It does. My only thought is maybe that's what Jerry thought he said. And it's not what the official said. I mean, you know, I would also just say, like, if you look at the profile of most of the officials, I don't picture many of those guys saying the word bitch that often. You know what I mean? Like, right. They're like accountants and lawyers. I, I mean, I don't know if he did say it. I wish that we had a mic because I'd be surprised the dude had it in him. That's a great point, too. Uh, and I followed that up, and without giving away the podcast, I'm like, well, do you really think? I mean, look at Jerry Hughes, man. This guy's an alpha Very hot, very aggressive. Do you really think that a referee, like some insurance executive, would say, hey, man, you're a bitch? What are you going to do about that? Yeah, that's what I thought, Hughes. That's what I thought. Back in the huddle. I don't know. I doubt it. I thought Ross made a really good point. Maybe that's what Hughes thought he heard. I don't know. I'm not there. Ross Tucker says, I've never really heard a referee say anything that aggressive or egregious any or anything at all most of these guys are like insurance executives ceos because most of these guys would never even use the word period that that was weird really weird i'm not saying what happened or what didn't happen i wasn't there Jerry Hughes himself is saying that he never confronted the official when in fact we know he did because there's video in other words weird weird times in buffalo Four games left. It might be past time for the Mafia to take their act to Key Bank Center, where the Sabres play. Just leave your sex toys at home. Nobody wants to see them on the ice. I'll catch you, guaranteed. We are joined by the head football coach at UCF. 12-0 in his first season at UCF. Led UCF to the American Athletic Conference title this season. UCF has now won 25 straight. That is the longest active streak in FBS. They're ranked number eight. They've got a matchup with number 11 LSU in the Fiesta Bowl. That's coming up on January 1st. Josh Heupel is my guest. Josh, really nice to have you back on. How are you? 
Hey, doing great. Appreciate you having me on. It's good to have you on, Josh. All right, so Saturday's conference title game really could not have gotten off to a worse start. Memphis scored on their first possession. Then your quarterback, Daryl Mack Jr., fumbled on your first possession. Memphis scored again, Josh. Just over three minutes into the game, you're down 14 nothing. It got worse. You were down 38-21 at halftime. So what was the mood like in the locker room, and did you sense any panic from your guys at all? Yeah, I appreciate you reliving the uh, the horror show that was the uh, the first thirty minutes of football. There, Sorry, we uh, coach. we didn't play very well. We uh, we turned the ball over and did some things that we haven't done all year long. You know, we had three turnovers uh, in the first half uh, defensively. Uh, had a hard time fitting the run game. Didn't do a very good job. weren't disciplined uh, with our assignments. And and uh, but there was no panic. Uh, we got really mature competitors on our on our football team. They believe in themselves. They believe in the guy next to them. Believe in the, in the guy that's playing on the other side of of the line of scrimmage, meaning, you know, if they're on defense playing on offense. And, and uh, um, went in at halftime, made a few adjustments, and uh, came out and just continued to compete and, and go play ball like it was 0-0. All right, so let me relive the five straight possessions where you score touchdowns. You come right out, ultimately you win that game. So what's it say about the second half, the way your team showed up in the program, that they were that resilient and they did battle back the way they did? Yeah, I think that it shows that they are resilient. It shows that they're great competitors. It shows that uh, they have a heart of a champion, that uh, they can handle adversity. Uh, all the things that it takes to go win uh, and have an undefeated season, all the things it takes to go undefeated for two straight years. Uh, really proud of, of what our kids have done and, and how they've continued to compete. And, and uh, you know, just the brotherhood and the love that they have for one another and uh, and really how that's transcended through our program and allowed us to, to go compete and win championships. UCF head football coach Josh Heupel is my guest. Now, you win that game without your star quarterback, Mackenzie Milton, who suffered that brutal injury against South Florida on November 23rd. On a personal level, what was it like for you to see him go down that way and then to hear some of the details about the severity of the injury? Yeah, it's it's heart wrenching. Um, you care so deeply about everybody inside of your program. Uh, certainly, McKenzie. Everyone's got a great appreciation and understands what he's done inside of our program the last couple of years and, and what he meant to our football team. Uh, but you know, every one of these kids, the the amount of time and energy and sacrifice and discipline that goes into the work that it takes to to have success on the football field. When they're stripped of those opportunities, it, it, it absolutely, uh, you know, it rips your heart apart. And, and obviously the severity of the injury with, with KZ, uh, you're first just worried about his overall health and, and then ultimately uh, his ability to come back as a competitor as well. Uh, he's doing as well as he possibly can. He's got a heart of a champion, uh, a true warrior spirit, and he's taking this thing head on. You know, Josh, you talked about the brotherhood, the love. Milton and Max spoke right after the game. Max said that Milton told him that he loved him. How the team played says something about the team, but what does it say about the way Milton has handled all of this? What's that say about him as a person and as a leader? Uh, it says that he is a great leader. It says that he does deeply care about his teammates, that he's poured everything he possibly can into them, uh, that he cares more about the team than he does himself. Um, he's uh, he's just a, a true champion, you know. He uh, after the ball game, uh, my wife and I went up and, and we're in the hospital uh, with him that night after the the USF game. Uh, came back to town and and uh, on Monday morning, you know, he had already had surgery on Monday morning. He was facetiming and he was a part of our quarterback meeting and, and he really was throughout the entire week of preparation for. Uh, the, the conference championship game against Memphis. And uh, I think it was great for him. It, it got him back uh, around our guys, uh, around the football side of it, 
uh, rejuvenated him a little bit, but it was great for our players as well to see that he was doing well uh, and that he was still a part of, of what we were doing moving forward. I don't know, Josh. I've done this a long, long time, and, and I'm accustomed to guys bouncing back, being mentally tough, being resilient. I mean, that had to have been such a traumatic thing to happen. How does a guy like that get his head wrapped around that that quickly, that he's already FaceTiming, he's a part of the process, he's getting with his teammates? It would be so natural to be terrified or to feel sorry for yourself. How in the world did he get leverage on himself and his situation that quickly? Yeah, I, I think it just speaks to, to who and what he is. You know, and I'm talking about just internally. He's He has got a heart of a champion. He truly loves the guys inside of our building that, that are part of our football program um, and, and pours everything he possibly can into those guys. And he's got a great warrior spirit about him. He continues to compete every single day. He's as special as anybody I've ever been around and, and uh, love and appreciate who he is and, and what he's meant to our program and what he's going to continue to mean moving forward. UCF head football coach Josh Heupel, my guest. The team went undefeated last year. The argument had been, yeah, well, let's see UCF do that again, and then you go out and you do it again. Do you feel like the program is getting the respect that it deserves and it has earned on a national level? I, I think people recognize uh, what we have done on the football field, I think there's an appreciation and a respect uh, in college football for that. Uh, do I think, you know, the the process is right? No, I, I think our kids have, have earned the right to go go prove something on the football field. Uh, we're excited about the bowl game against LSU, um, but you know, ultimately, I, I gotta believe that uh, you know this this playoff is going to be expanded. Uh, and allow more people into the into the process. I was going to say, I mean, you're focused on LSU. you got to take care of your business still yet, especially to make that argument. But if, in fact, you do that and things go your way and you earn that victory on the field, do you feel like the field will be expanded? And what would you expand it to if it were up to you? I, 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 don't, I don't have all the answers. I, I mean, I think ultimately it goes to eight and, and, and it plays from there. Um, you know, uh, uh, there's six conference champions that, that get into the process. There's going to be two at-larges. Uh, that's how I, you know, potentially see it unfolding. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, um, you know, uh, a goal of ours as our football team was to get in the playoff. We didn't do that. Um, our kids are excited. Our program's excited about going out and competing against a great football team in, in LSU. Got a great amount of respect for, for their coaching staff, their players, what they have done throughout the course of, of this season, the, the history and the tradition of that program. Uh, we're excited about going and playing in a Fiesta Bowl. Uh, and, and at the end of the day, our kids have been successful this season and handled it the right way uh, because they focused on what matters, and that's their preparation and controlling today. Uh, our kids, uh, when we get back off the road recruiting, uh, our, our bowl prep, they'll, they'll get back to what matters and, and prepare in a great way to go out and play a football game. Right, so it's a tremendous opportunity for the program, for the players. As you look at LSU, and you'll get into this, I'm sure, but as you look at them right now, what concerns you the most about that matchup? I just I haven't watched them over the years. I know they're going to be athletic uh, with their skill positions in all three phases of the game, offensively, defensively. Um, you know, they're going to be big and physical uh, on both sides of the line of scrimmage. Uh, I haven't gotten into the tape yet. Uh, just haven't watched them through the years knowing uh, the type of personnel that they have. You know, they're, they're going to pose those issues for us, and, and uh, our kids will be ready to go compete and go play, though. Josh, one thing before you go. This is great video of a UCF student who had been waiting for Fiesta Bowl tickets since 4 p.m. on Sunday. Finally got a chance to buy her tickets. We've talked in the past about the support that you get in the bounce house, and it was rocking once again during the title game. You knew coming into this job that the UCF fan base was really passionate. You knew you had fan support. Did you have any idea that it was to that extent, though? I, I, I really didn't, man. This is uh, one of the youngest universities in the country. It's the second largest university in the country. 
it's continuing to grow uh, every single year. Uh, our community has embraced us with, with open arms. Uh, the, the stadium's packed every single uh, Saturday afternoon or Saturday evening. Every game we walk out that tunnel, it, it's jam-packed. It's as an electric of atmosphere as I have coached in or played in uh, anywhere in, in college football. And uh, I think, you know, the more we continue to, to, you know, host college game day and those types of things, I think people will open, have their eyes open to, to the experience that our players and, and that our fans are creating at, uh, at UCF. Last thing I got to ask you about, when you arrived right after you said to the players, hey, listen, the traditions, what's important to you? What do you want to keep? One of them involved cheesecake. What is that tradition and what's it mean to the players? Yeah, well, our offensive and defensive linemen on Friday night when we finish our team meal, uh, that's their favorite dessert. We got a few other desserts there. We got a good dessert bar going on. But uh, the cheesecake was important to a couple of the big fellas. So we uh, – we cut the cheesecake. We we changed a few other things, but uh, our players uh, enjoyed making sure that they had their sweets on Friday night. Mark and Hollywood came in hot early, and I said that it was most likely that he would wire the field, make it a boat race, unless somebody were to step up this segment and rip that from him. And then I looked at my call screen, and I saw the one guy who did not RSVP for the hack off. Everybody did. You picked eight candidates for it, and within the first show, seven RSVP'd yes. Some that were not on the list RSVP'd, except for one guy, Jeff, in San Antonio. So he was right there, which kind of hyped me up, because number one, we were going to have the complete eight RSVPs, and number two, if anybody could take down Mark in Hollywood and prevent him from wiring the field, it was Jeff in San Antonio. But then for some reason, he hung up. That'll happen, I guess. So, in an attempt to prevent this guy from making it a boat race and wiring the field, let's go to the phones. Matt in L.A. has been waiting. Matt, what's going on? Snagger bats. Thanks for the vine. Hey, now, in Alvy's defense, man, of course, uh, the Deloro Christmas card is a big production. He has to rent out a Sony soundstage in Culver City just to get all 25 kids in. But that's not why I called, Romy. In between handling my business like we bosses do, you know how we do it, Rome. I was caught, you know, catching the jungle. I caught a little snippet earlier from a noted pedophile state university alumnus actually calling out Urban Meyer. I'd say Mark bumping Bollywood is better than that, but we all know he's not. Hey, Marky Mark, why don't you work more on polishing off Big Wang or macking a dude to hang with Britney Skank or whatever it is your D-list acting does, because that OSU take you had was as whack as your last attempt of writing a good treatment, you sag card toting bag. Keep OSU out your mouth. That's all I got, Jim. Were Ira Craig graduating to prawns for his Bluetooth modules? Unwore those Canadian kumquats stalking Rich Ackerman. Outro. Rack him, Matt in L.A. Yeah, I know a lot of you don't like this guy. I know a lot of you don't like this guy. He makes me laugh every single time. I'm just glad he didn't go with a jello testicle blast. Matt in L.A. <laughs> Too much. All right, is that going to be enough? Will that be enough to take down Mark in Hollywood? I said, if you want to beat the guy, to be the man, you got to beat the man. He went right at the guy. When I said, is there going to be somebody who is going to rip this from him? He went right at him. Is it going to be enough? 
There was another guy who wanted a piece of Mark, and then he just hung up. I wonder who he was scared of. It must have been Matt, right? He must have thought to himself, yeah, I told Hawk that I was coming for Mark in Hollywood, but Matt got there first. If the guy hung up, it's not because of Mark. He was coming for Mark. It's because of Matt. Maybe Matt did do enough. Maybe it's there. I want to talk some Michigan for a minute. How about this guy? This guy's been on hold pretty much for all of 2018. Josh in Detroit. Why not? Right? Josh, you made it in. What's going on? Hey, Rome. Thanks for the vine. Speaking of the hack off, Rome, because I'm the number one seed, I'm the most potent seed since Albies. And speaking of Michigan fans, you know they all did their little pump fist when they found out that Herb wasn't coming back to Ohio State next year. You know, they probably have stopped the assembly lines and pump fist, fist pumping in their cubicles because they know they can't beat Herb in Ohio State. You know, I might be from this great state of Michigan, but I'm not a Michigan honk. If you didn't go to the school, Michigan fans, why are you even rooting for the school, you Walmart Wolverine? And another thing, Rome. I thought I'd catch up on some holiday shopping over the weekend. I walked in. The salesman asked me, how can I help you? And I said, I'll take it. Rack me, Jim. Ah! That's not a good call. No. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not a very good call. I've never seen a guy with less game and more confidence. Josh, what the hell does that even mean? I went to do some holiday shopping this weekend, and the sales dude said, how can I help you? And I said, I'll take it. Dude, are you looking for a mic to drop on that line? Well, what the hell does that even mean? Like, you have so much game, you'll take everything? You'll have one of everything? You, you're so rich, you can buy whatever you want? Like, what did any of that mean, Josh? Bro, that's why you're the one seed. For the hack off, because your calls are terrible, your game is even worse, and you're walking around like you're Brad and Corona. Dude, that's why you're the one seed. If ever there was a reason to bring back the hack off, that call was it. That and Lauren from Naples. Jeff in San Antonio is the only guy who could save this, the only guy who could rip the call from Mark in Hollywood. Man, I'll tell you what, at least I'm glad. Usually I regret taking a Josh call. Not that time. That made no sense at all, Josh. Even for you, that was crap. That made no sense whatsoever. I would ordinarily say, man, go find some local show to run that to. There's not even a bad local show where that would have been good. That call was not good. That call doesn't live anywhere. That call made no sense anywhere. I could just sit back and like take the reaction now. That's why you're the one seed. And in that sense, a one seed has never lost to an eight seed in the hack off and never will. Not while you're the one seed. And remember, it's the inverse. One is bad. In the hack off, you don't want to be a top seed. A total big E. Josh is going to boat race the hack off. Oh, he will. He will. With content like that, it is going to be a boat race. You know the concept of a boat race? That once a boat gets a lead in a boat race, no other boats ever come back to win because it's a boat race. Nothing ever happens in a boat race. Somebody gets their nose out in front and they win. 
That's Josh. Josh would make the first call as the one seed, and nobody would have a chance to run him down. Reginald Merriweather III tweets, War pump fisting. You know they all did their little pump fist when they found that. They were pump fisting. Pump fist. Nothing like a big pump fist. Pump fist. <laughs> War pump fisting. Pump fist. Now, not, number six had nothing to do with that. Don't come in here with your resets of number six pump fisting. Pump fist. Man, Josh, you are the worst, dude. I mean, you're a good dude. You really are. You're a good dude and a horrible caller. Dude, you're just walking around, man, like like you're so swagalicious. Dude, that was terrible. Not only are those bad takes, they're takes that just don't make sense. Like, I can't decode them. I can't explain them. I don't know what they mean. Then you, then you know what happened, Rome? Then I went to the mall, and then I went into a store, and the sales rep rolled up on me and said, Can I help you, sir? And I said, Yes. Then, then the sales manager said, get out of my way. I'll handle this. Excuse me, sir. Can I help you? I'll take it. Oh, Josh, you went there. And I said, I'll take it. Rack me, Jim. Joseph Thomas Henry tweets, I hate Josh in Detroit. Signed everyone in Michigan. He reps you, Detroit. He's not Josh from San Antonio. He's not Josh from L.A. He's not Josh from Tampa. Josh in Detroit. He reps y'all. He's repping the 303. Check that. That's Colorado. 313. Jeff from the 919 tweets, Damn, you're lying if you hear that and don't think the hack off can work notice i'm not selling that anymore i'm not saying that i said initially the hack off no longer works and then i played some of the old calls and then i played some of the new calls and notice i stopped saying that now instead of saying the hack off won't work i've been saying or thinking to myself when will it work what day would it work best where do i put this thing And every time one of those hacks calls and does something like that, the more I think it is going to work. Josh was the best argument for the hack off in quite some time. Walmart Wolverine. Walmart Wolverine. Warren Fawcett tweets, Josh needs to be a none seed. Like a zero seed. Like a one seed's not good enough. He's so dominant, he should be a none seed. What with all that pump fisting going on? Pump fist. Huge call brought to you by Heat. Heat branded products are designed to keep your fuel system flowing. Even under the harshest conditions. Remove water, raise MPGs, clean the fuel system. Heat, baby. Heat. H-E-E-T. Wells in the 360. Never seen a guy with less game and more confidence? Take a look across the glass. Hawk's not that bad. Hawk's bad, but not that bad. Josh is the nun seed. And I said I'll take it. Good night now!